presence within us and among us. We thank you, Father, for your precious word. Open the eyes of our spirits, Father, that we would know who we are in Christ more than ever before. Enlighten our hearts, Father, to reveal your way, your plans, your purposes for us. We'll give you all the glory and the honor for everything that's done, Lord. We bless you. And we thank you for the precious name of Jesus. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 3, Paul, speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. This This word stronghold means fortress or palace. Now, there's a lot of things that we've heard through our lifetimes about the devil's strongholds and pulling those things down. This is a favorite scripture for people to use when they're praying, particularly about cities or things that are going on in the country around us. But notice that Paul tells us in the very next verse how to pull down those strongholds. Notice he says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The strongholds that the devil builds in our lives are in our minds. It's not a matter of praying for something to be done in our cities or our states or in the world around us. Don't get me wrong. It's good to pray, like Paul said, to pray for our leaders and those that are in authority. But the biggest work that the devil's ever going to do against you or me in our lives is in our mind. The fact of the matter is you can't be a strong Christian unless you have a strong mind. I'm not saying that mental development is the key to spiritual growth, but mental development is the key to spiritual growth. (laughs) Notice he said casting down imaginations. This word imagination means uh, reasonings. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We know that the Bible tells us in one of the the most famous parables that Jesus told us or gave to us in Mark chapter 4. We know that people take differing opinions or people have different measures of attention that they give to the word. Jesus talked about the sower sowing the word. Some of it fell by the wayside. Well, that didn't do any good. They weren't interested in hearing what the word had to say. It says some fell among stony ground. It didn't produce much because of affliction and persecution that the people encountered after they began to stand upon the word. And then it tells us about the thorny ground where the the results that the word was intended to bring didn't produce much because it was choked out by the deceitfulness of riches the cares of this world and the lusts of other things but there was one type of ground that produced fruit and the thing that made the difference between the ground that produced fruit and the other ground that did not was the attention that the people gave to the word. James said, James wrote to the church and said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We've got a lot of people that are self-deceived. It's not the devil that's deceived them. They've deceived themselves because they only heard the word and didn't act on it. Now, notice where it says every high thing, casting down imaginations and every high thing. What are these high things? 
Well, he's talking about anything that opposes the word, anything that opposes the truth of the word. That's a high thing. Now, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to a crowd. And he says some things to them that we'll not take time to go look at. But he sets the stage by saying he's the light of the world. And he's describing or identifying himself, who he is to the people. And in verse 30, notice it says, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Now, what does that mean? What did they believe? Well, specifically, he identified that he was the Messiah. Specifically, he identified that he was the one that was sent to show the way of God or the way to God. So it says, and he spoke these words and many believed on him. Verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. We've got a group of people that have accepted what Jesus said about being the light of the world and the only way to God. Now, they couldn't be saved yet because Jesus hadn't been to the cross and paid the price for salvation, for the redemption of man. So they can't believe in their hearts to come to the new birth. But they do believe what is necessary to bring them into salvation as soon as the price is paid by Jesus. So he said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He makes a distinction between believers and disciples. Now, why doesn't Jesus just say, now you guys just stick with what you're believing in me? Because it won't be too long from now that I'll go to the cross and then be raised from the dead and pave the way for salvation so that you can be born again. But instead, Jesus mentions something about continuous growth in him. He mentions something that identifies that God expects us to grow spiritually. Just like we grow physically from the time that we're born, we're supposed to grow spiritually too. And that spiritual growth depends on the word. So he says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. What is he talking about continuing in the word? Well, it would certainly include, spiritual growth will always include casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself or opposes the word of God and the knowledge of God's word. So he's got to be inclusive here, even though he doesn't identify it. He has to be talking about the same thing that Paul gave the church by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost concerning renewing your mind and pulling down those strongholds, wrong thinking that keep you out of God's blessings. He's got to be talking about the same thing, doesn't he? At least it has to be included in what he's referring to. So Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples? Now, which way do you think God wants us to be? Just believers or disciples? Well, he tells you how. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, this is what he speaks to those who believe in him, who believe on him as being the Messiah. Verse 33, then they answered him and said, We be Abraham's seed. And we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Immediately they begin to argue with Jesus. The believers immediately begin to argue with Jesus. Now, I don't want to read the whole thing, but let's skip down a couple of verses. Verse 37 Jesus is explaining to them the importance of continuing in his word to bring about freedom. Now, the freedom Jesus is talking about is he's talking about freedom from the devil. He's talking about spiritual freedom. But a part of that spiritual freedom, he's just told them, is continuing in his word so that they can be free. Not just free through the new birth, but but following the new birth, 
free in every area that we might think different than what the word says. Verse 37, Jesus said, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. He says this to the people that believe on him. You seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. They've received the word in one area, but in another area, they're just as lost as if they'd never heard. This is the same way with us. We can be open to hear the word of God in one area, but not open to receive it in another. Now, I want you to notice what their go-to position is. And this is true for people that keep their minds closed and allow those strongholds which have been built up over years. People that refuse to deal with those imaginations, those wrong thoughts, those strongholds. They want to kill Jesus. Now, why do they want to kill Jesus? Because, folks, when you come to your stopping place where you won't accept the Word of God in that area or in an area, it's got to be somebody else's fault. I remember part of Brother Hagin's testimony after he was healed from a deformed heart, there was a, a revival minister that came to town. He was Pentecostal, but Brother Hagin didn't know anything about Pentecostal or anything else at that point in time. He'd only been healed for a little over a year. And they started having some outstanding meetings in this tent revival on the edge of town. And Brother Hagin said that when he found out they believed in faith and healing, he beat a path to their door faster than anything you could imagine. See, when Brother Hagin was healed, he wasn't healed by reading somebody else's book or their testimony of healing or how healing works. He was healed by the things that the Holy Spirit had taught him privately on that deathbed, which he spent 16 months on. So when he heard somebody else believed in faith and healing, he ran to them. He thought he's the only one in the world that knew anything about this. Well, he found out that they believed in speaking in tongues too. And he was still Baptist at that point in time, still going to the Baptist church. By then, he had begun to, to speak a little bit when he had opportunity, and, and there were a lot of people in that area that were familiar with his healing, so they wanted to know what was going on. So Brother Hagin said, I didn't believe in that speaking in tongues stuff, so I just turned a deaf ear to that and overlooked it so that I could have some fellowship around faith and healing. Now notice what he did. He made a conscious effort to not accept what they had to say about speaking in tongues. But over the course of time, over the next couple of weeks, the Holy Spirit started dealing with him about being filled with the Spirit and speaking in other tongues. So he went back to the Word to find the answers, then the Holy Spirit led him to the answers. So he committed himself to the Lord in a, a greater way by receiving the baptism of the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Now, folks, whenever you get to the place where you say no, you remember Peter identified Jesus. Jesus said, who do you say I am? Peter spoke for the group, and he said, we believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, Jesus commended him for that because he had received the revelation by the Holy Spirit and not because of what somebody had told him. But then Jesus begins to plainly teach and show how he must go to Jerusalem and be crucified and be raised from the dead after three days. You remember what Peter answered to that? He said, not so, Lord. Now, folks, that's a, a, a clear 
statement identifying what you cannot do. You can't say no and Lord in the same sentence. Because whatever you say no to, the Lord stops being your Lord at that point. So in order to escape the condemnation that comes from us saying no to anything the Lord directs us to, we don't want to take the responsibility on ourselves. We don't want to say, well, I made a choice. I know that what the Holy Ghost is saying is right, but I refuse to accept it. So you have to put the blame on somebody else. You have to say that what they're saying is not of the Holy Ghost so that you can keep yourself on God's side. Which means you have to get rid of the other voice. I wish I had a dollar for everybody that left the church saying to Pastor Mike, it's not you. And it's not the teaching of the word. Well, folks, it's always me. They've come to some place where they've said no. Now, here's the, here's the thing I want you to, to, here's what I want to get to. Why don't the people that Jesus is dealing with in John chapter 8, why don't they accept that he's speaking by the Holy Ghost in the next area just like he was speaking to them when they believed? See, they're, ju they're judging whether or not what Jesus said about being the light of the world was from God or not. They judged that he was seeking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost by saying he's the light of the world. But now when he starts talking about being free through the continuation in the word or spiritual growth, they take that as an attack on their pedigree or their heritage. They're saying we're the natural descendants of Abraham. How can you say that you can make us free through the word? And it was certainly something that was serious enough for them to fight over. They were ready. And Jesus knew this when he's telling them, knowing that they've chosen to believe on him. But he knows they're going to only go a short period or a short time with him. Jesus said, I speak that which I have seen of my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you'd do the works of Abraham. Folks, you can always tell what something is by judging its fruit. Everything produces after its own kind. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I heard of God. Now, that's not what Abraham did. You do the deeds of your father. They said unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you'd love me. Everything produces fruit. You can judge what something is by looking at the fruit. If, you were of God, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he that sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? I said we weren't going to go through this verse by verse, but I guess we are. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, folks, literally, Jesus is, is speaking the truth. They are of their father, the devil. Even though they have knowledge to believe and have made a choice to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. but they're not willing to turn loose of anything else. So again, 
You have to silence the voice of truth. There are so many parallels to these things that Jesus encountered and the, the, the stories of Jesus talking to people as compared to the things that are going on in the world around us. Now, what part of what we've read that Jesus said is not inspired by the Holy Ghost? Jesus is talking about Abraham, the actions of Abraham. And you might, certainly would have a right to question, what's he talking about that for? Why didn't he just stick with the spiritual things? Why didn't he just stick with, I'm the light of the world? Why did he start talking about some of these other things? Because, folks, Jesus didn't die just to be your Savior. He died to be your Lord. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? Because they're picking and choosing what they want to hear. Just like many Christians do today. He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore hear them not because you are not of God. Then they an then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say not well we have... Now let me back up and start that over. Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil... So here's the one they believe on the Messiah, believed to be the Messiah, because he's identified himself as the light of the world. But at the point that they continue, or at the point that they refuse to continue in his words and be doers of his words, they identify him as having had a devil. Anything that you refuse to go further with God, that's the point where people start talking about it being of the devil. That's why tongues is controversial in many circles. Now, some people will take the position, some denominations, and the people that are a part of those denominations will take the position that not everybody is supposed to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So it's not speaking in tongues is not wrong for them, but it's just not for everybody. Well, if that's true, then God's a respecter of persons, and we've got to tear out some pages of our Bible. But outside of that one exception, everybody that refuses to accept the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues calls it of the devil, says of speaking in tongues that it's of the devil. Well, if you identify something as of the devil, and whether it is or not, but build up that thinking in your mind, then you're off the hook. No responsibility from that point forward in that area. But people do the same thing today as they were doing in Jesus' day. Jesus answered and said, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judges. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said Jesus, then said the Jews unto Jesus, now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets, which are dead, whom makest thou thyself? Who do you claim to be? Jesus answered and said, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I don't know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father rejoiced, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, 
and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Folks, you can't be any clearer than what Jesus is telling the people about himself and who he is. Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. So we started with a bunch of Jews that believed on him and we end up with a supernatural act of God to keep there from being a stoning. Folks, everything that the word says we're responsible for. And we can't pass away or pass off that responsibility just because the word says something we don't want to hear. The responsibility is still ours. And we'll answer for it, whether we accept it or reject it. There is one that judges. Jesus said he's not the one, but there is one that judges. I have received more mail criticizing me for the things that I've said about the political circumstances and situation in our country than anything that I've ever received. My views have not been kept hidden. I don't believe anything different now politically than I did 10 or 20 years ago. But there's something about saying it now that's stirring a lot of people up. Now let me explain something to you folks. And this is for you to accept if you want to and believe it. But if you don't, I don't care. (laughs) No, I'm not trying to put anybody down. I'm not trying to offend anybody. But it's the way that God made me. I couldn't care less about criticism. I couldn't care less about praise. If I know that I'm doing what God wants me to do, then it doesn't matter to me what anybody thinks. See, I'm not responsible for you doing the word or doing what the word says to do. I'm responsible for doing my part to tell you the truth. Everything after that's on you. I don't have any trouble sleeping at night because people reject it. If they rejected Jesus... How could I expect them to do better for me? But I will tell you this. I spend more time praying, most of it praying in other tongues, when I know the Lord wants me to say something about politics than I do for any other subject. Part of my daily confession is that the Holy Ghost gives me utterance and direction on what to say. And if I'm not sure God wants me to say something, I won't go there. Even if what I might say would be true, if I don't have the unction to say it, I leave it alone. Some things are Some things work better. Well, everything works better when you wait for the unction to say it. Just because you may have the truth doesn't mean you're supposed to say everything you think. And it amazes me how people can talk about the revelation they get or the blessing they get from my teaching on some, you pick it, you pick whatever subject you want. But then when it comes to politics, they think somehow I'm just talking out of my own head. I just won't say something unless God tells me to say it. 
and I get complaints. Like I said, more now than ever before, and I guess this is something I've got an advantage on in the, posi in the position that I'm in. If I didn't know anything else was going on, I'd know it was the end time just because of the communication I get on, pol on politics. As it is, it just adds to what we know the Bible says. But it, 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 well, it's happened so much, it shouldn't surprise me anymore, but it does. Time after time after time. Pastor Mike, what you said Sunday morning was such a blessing. But I won't be coming back because of what you said about politics. Okay. It's amazing to me how people can accept something that blesses them because they don't have some stronghold built up in their mind in that area. But then if you talk about something in their stronghold area, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> now you're getting a little too close. All because they won't address the high things that have built into strongholds in their mind that oppose the knowledge of God through his word. Look with me to Romans chapter 12. Verse 1, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Folks, notice what takes place when we pull down those strongholds and accept what the word of God says to be true no matter what we thought in the past, no matter what we may think now. The reward, the payoff for being willing to think God's thoughts instead of our own, to get our own reasonings or preconceived notions out of the way so that we can hear and accept what the Holy Ghost has to say. It's a transformation that takes place. It's not some small thing that we just come into agreement with each other. It's a transforming result. A transforming result. It'll change us into another person. It'll bring freedom. Jesus said, if you know the truth, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Freedom is that transformation. Freedom is God's plan. It's his purpose. But we'll never know the truth of God's word. We'll never know his freedom in any area that we're not willing to change our own thinking. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Do you notice that phrase, or those two words of himself are in italics? Whenever in the King James you find words in italics, these are words that the translators added, hoping to help our understanding. Now, it's not that they do us a disservice here, because it's certainly true that we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But he's not talking just about what you think of yourself. For I say through the grace of God given unto me. To every man that is among you. To every man that is among you. You don't get a pass on this folks. Everybody has to do it. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. Not to think more highly than he ought to think. These are the high things that he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 10. We were instructed in 2 Corinthians 10 to cast down imag imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. 
Now, what are high things? Why are these things called high things? You know what a high thing is? A high thing is anything that you believe other than the Word. A high thing is one of those strongholds that is built up through wrong, th- wrong thinking over a period of time. High things are simply strongholds of the devil. But we're instructed, commanded to examine our thoughts, to identify what we think and why we think it so that we can think in line with what God's Word says rather than the way of the world. Remember, he just said in the second verse that this is part of not being conformed to the world. So then the high thing would be the world's way of thinking. Wrong thinking in whatever area. You know as well as I do that a lot of Christians have wrong thinking about healing and God's will to heal. How does a person go from believing that it's not God's will to heal or it's not his will to heal everybody perhaps to believing that healing has been paid for by the blood of Jesus? You've got to pull down that stronghold to get to the place of of believing right. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. In other words, you've got the faith that's necessary when put in practice to remove every stronghold, to pull down every stronghold of the devil and walk in total and complete freedom through the Word of God. That's not given to just a lucky few. That's given to everybody. Absolutely everybody. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, And verse 13, Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, he says, if we believe not, yet he abides faithful. Talking about God, he said, he cannot deny himself. Now I want you to look at that last phrase. God cannot deny himself. God cannot deny himself. What does that mean? That means God doesn't change just because we may think wrong. God doesn't change just because we may refuse to believe something that the Word says is ours. That means everything produces after its own fruit because God set it up to work that way. Let me tell you the other side of the story. We received a letter a couple of weeks back. It was from a lady that's a physics professor in a Southern California university. And she was saying how that she came across the TV program and that letter to the website, and she's been devouring services and downloading and all that kind of stuff. And she said that she just wanted to let us know what a blessing the teaching has been and how much it's changed her life. And at the end, she said, and, and by the way, don't pull back from teaching on saying stuff about politics. She said, I was stuck in thinking the wrong thing politically for all of my adult life. But she said, when I realized that you were saying things about politics at the direction of the Holy Ghost, just like you would talk by the direction of the Holy Ghost in ministering other areas of the word, She said, it made me stop and examine what I believed and why I believed it. And she said, now I'm thinking in line with what God's Word says about politics too. I hope you're clapping for her. Because like I said, it doesn't matter to me one way or the other. 
I do rejoice in that testimony, though. Somebody has recovered themselves from the snare of the devil by accepting the knowledge of God's word. God is faithful who cannot deny himself. That means just as Jesus told the, the uh, Jews that they can judge him by the fruit that he produces. And there were many times where Jesus was called into question about who he is or what he's doing or why he's doing what he's doing. And Jesus always referred them to the fruit. He said, look around. Is what I'm doing a good thing? Or is it evil? Everything produces after its own fruit. That's why voting in this upcoming election should be the easiest thing in the world for a Christian. I'm not encouraging people to vote Republican because the party is of God. I'm urging them to vote Republican because the Democrat party is of the devil. Now, there's going to be people that think I'm just speaking my opinion, and I'm not. One of the party platforms for the Democratic Party is abortion up unto the point of birth. That's murder, folks. No matter who commits it, no matter what their reason is, even trying to take some high ground to say that it's the woman's choice. It doesn't change the fact that the fruit of that belief is murder, the shedding of innocent blood. But that's the point where a lot of people get up to the edge and say, that's it, I won't go any further. So what do you do? Well, the person that comes to that place and says they won't accept the word of God in that area reinforces the stronghold that's already working in their lives, robbing them of the freedom and the blessing and the liberty of the word of God, and they have to blame somebody else for it. I'm perfectly willing to be the one to blame. Doesn't matter to me one way or the other. I don't come here and preach what I think you want to hear. The only thing I've ever preached from this pulpit is what I knew in my heart that God wanted me to say. There's a verse of scripture, Paul writing to Timothy, said, be not many masters, knowing that we received a greater condemnation. Folks, I've got a higher standard to live up to than you do. Now, I don't know what that would mean to you, but it means everything to me. That's the reason why I won't go in any area that God doesn't tell me to go. I realize I'm going to have to answer for everything I taught, every word no matter what area it uh, pertained to, I'm going to have to answer to God for everything that I say. That's too serious to me to play with. That's too serious for me to cross the line at any point. Jesus said to his disciples, I have meat that you don't know about. And when they questioned him about it, he said, my meat is to do the will of my father. Folks, that's the guiding principle of my life. If I'm doing what God wants me to do, I don't care what the results are. I don't care who says good and who says bad. I am simply dedicated to the one principle of speaking the truth as the Holy Ghost reveals it to me. And that's it. That's all that motivates me. God is faithful who cannot deny himself. 
See, it doesn't matter what you say the reasons for abortion might be. It's still murder. It doesn't matter what you claim in the way of compassion toward homosexuality or LGBT, XYZ, whatever. I don't know what, I, what all the things are. And I'm sure that's politically incorrect, so I can accept some criticism for that too. But it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what compassion might lead you toward where the people are concerned. Sin is sin, and God can't deny himself. Now, God's not against the people, and we want to do everything we can to reach out to people no matter what circumstance they're in, no matter what position they're in in life. They're, st they're just as much eligible for the kingdom of God as you and I. But it doesn't change the fact that sin is sin. And sin will always be sin. And people that sin will always not want to be told that it's sin. But God never changes. There's a verse of scripture in Isaiah. Let me see if I wrote it down here. Yeah, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. We got a lot of that going on. That puts darkness for light and light for darkness. That puts bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, if Isaiah is speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and I believe he is, here's God saying, Woe. Woe unto them. Woe unto them that claim good is bad. And bad or evil is good. I don't know about you, but where God says woe, that gets my attention. That's a very bad thing ahead for the ones that he's talking about. One of the woes that God speaks is woe unto the pastors that lead my sheep astray. That's a special woe for me. And it's why I take the position that I do. It's why the overriding principle in my life, especially in the work that God has given me here, is to speak what the Holy Ghost tells me to speak and shut up about the rest. Second Timothy chapter four. Beginning in verse one. Paul said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables or unto fables. Part of the signs of the end that Paul talked about, he didn't specifically identify this as end time event or end time activity. And it's not exclusive to the end time. And I think that's the reason why he didn't uh, separate it out or speak specifically about the end time. But he said there's coming a time where Christians won't endure sound doctrine. He's not talking about the world. We wouldn't expect them to. But he said there's coming a time where Christians are going to heap to themselves, gather to themselves people that will say what they want to hear. That's what itching ears is all about. Something that will satisfy what they want to hear. 
scratch the itch that they have for maybe subjects like sexual identity. Maybe things like politics. Maybe things like healing or the mercy of God. You remember when Jesus was tempted of the devil, there were three temptations. The first one was he was tempted to turn stones into bread to satisfy his hunger. Jesus responded the same way that we should respond to temptation, and that is by saying or speaking what the Word says, which is being a doer of the Word. See, the verse of Scripture we referred to in James chapter 1, verse 22 but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The way to avoid deceiving yourself is to be a doer of the word. Now, there may be things that we can do the word, take physical action to do the word in another context. But one way that always works and always applies to being a doer of the word is to speak what God's word says. In other words, to mix faith with it. Paul said that if he was the writer of the book of Hebrews, Paul said that the gospel didn't benefit the Jews because they didn't mix faith with it. So God expects us to mix faith with the word. So whatever the word says that we might think contrary to, if you want to pull down the stronghold in your life or in your mind and start saying what the word says, So the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn their ears away from the truth. Here's a stronghold that they choose to, to keep. And they shall turn their ears away from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You know what a fable is? Fake information. It amazes me how Christians can say that the Word of God is not relevant to today. I guess they think if they say that, they're not responsible for it. And they'll use that as an excuse not to be a doer of the word. But the end result's the same. As James said, they deceive themselves. Jesus said in John chapter 6, let's close with this. Turn with me to John chapter 6. I don't want to read the whole thing, but I want you to get enough of the context. Let's start in verse 37. We may jump around some here too. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. 
Every man therefore that has heard and has learned of the Father cometh to me. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God, he that has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's a violation of the law of Moses. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is a major refuting of something that's in the law of Moses. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. How shall we hear it? Folks, remember Jesus' overriding principle of the, the parable of the sower sowing the word. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. It's your choice what you'll listen to. It's, what's your, it's your choice what you'll open your mind to receive. It's your choice. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Well, they did. Acts chapter 1 tells us that he was caught up into heaven while his disciples stood there and watched him go. Verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Verse 66. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The modern day church, there are exceptions to this, certainly. But to make a generalized statement, which I don't believe is too far off the mark, if at all, the modern-day church is trying not to offend people. Jesus didn't bother about that. Jesus didn't even stop, and he could have. And why in the world he didn't? Boggles my mind. He could have said anywhere in that. He could have said, now you guys are hearing this literally. I'm not talking about my literal flesh and my literal blood being eaten by everybody. But you'll find out, you'll see in not too long a time from now, you'll see that because of the sacrifice of my body and the shedding of my blood, it'll open the door and pave the way for you to enter into the kingdom of God through the new birth. Why didn't he do that? Jesus could have dressed this up and avoided all contention so that he wouldn't have lost his crowd. But it says many of his disciples from that point quit walking with him. Folks, there are some things 
that we're just going to have to accept they're of the Holy Ghost. Whether we can understand them or not, but simply because they're the Word of God. And there are some things that are built up in our minds as strongholds that are favorite positions of ours. You can understand that it's a whole lot easier for the devil to build up wrong thinking in your mind when it's part of what you would prefer to hear than if it's something that you'd rather not hear. And a lot of people refuse to pull down those strongholds and think the truth of God's word because what they think is the way they want it to be. So the devil strokes your own natural desires and builds himself another fortress. Jesus was prepared to, to lose everybody because of the ones that are left. He turns to them and said, are you going to? I guess he just wants a clear picture of who's going to be there tomorrow. And notice what Peter answered. Lord, where are we going to go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. Peter and the others that stayed didn't know any more than the ones that left about what this meant and how this would be fulfilled. They had no clue whatsoever. But they stayed because of the one that spoke the word of God was somebody they trusted. If they hadn't had the advantage of seeing Jesus day after day, seeing the miracles which he did, watching the love that he walked in, they probably would have turned tail like everybody else. But they knew this guy. They knew that he spoke of God, spoke by the inspiration of God, he told them over and over and over again, I only say and do those things I see my father say and do. And that was enough for them to accept that whatever everybody else was leaving for, whatever their reasons might have been when they left, sticking with the word of God was the place to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you your word we thank you that the words that you speak unto us are spirit and life we thank you father that your word never fails we thank you father for the privilege that we have to accept the knowledge of your word the truth of your word to think right in every area so that we walk in freedom in every area father we commit ourselves to you to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of your word. To pull down these strongholds and to think in line with what your word says that we might know the truth and the truth make us free. Father, I believe that the vast majority of your children want to walk in the truth and so I pray Father that you would open the eyes of believers everywhere that you would give every one of your children an encounter with you that they would know that you are with them that they would know that you love them and that they would know that you have ordained each and every one of us to walk in complete and total victory. Complete victory. Complete freedom. Full of the blessings of God. Father, you know that I don't hold anything against anybody that speaks against me. Instead, Father, I pray that you would bless them. 
that you would send them to somebody that they would trust that would speak the truth of your word to them. Jesus made a big deal about not losing anybody that you had given him. In the same way, Lord, don't let any that have criticized us be lost from your love. I pray that you would bless them in a spectacular way so that they would know that it's your work that's been done in their lives. 